You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We're committed to sparking important conversations about money and inspiring you to always be in the financial front seat. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Her Money Mailbag. Kelly and I are wrapping up a week of answering your questions. We've had a lot of fun. We hope you keep them coming. And how much headway did we make in our mailbox this week? Personally, not as big of a dent, but that's a good problem. We're going to do more of these shows. We're going to explore other ways to answer. But I mean, a dent. A dent. It was positive. Okay. I, but we love hearing from you. So we do. yeah, we don't want it to slow down by any means. Um, and also happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Our first question is from Grace, who is a loyal listener of the show. And Grace, I loved your email. She was very funny. I, I wasn't, I'm not able to repeat all of it, but okay. here's her question. When deciding between contributing to a regular or Roth IRA, you and others say it depends on your tax bracket in retirement compared to now, but exactly how does one figure that out? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know, Grace. I Shoot. wish I had a crystal ball because essentially you're right. I mean, we're, we're making so many assumptions and predictions when we ask anybody to answer a question like this. In general, you're going to have the highest tax rate when you have the highest income. And the assumption that people like me, and we all know what happens when you assume, but <laughs> the assumption that people like me make is that after you stop working, your tax bracket will go down because you will have less income. Now, if you've saved like a crazy person or even just like a person who is instructed to save in a particular way and you go about it and you do really well in your investments and you perhaps work a little bit in retirement as two-thirds of people are doing these days – it is possible that your tax bracket will not go down. Yeah. And it is also possible that tax rates will go up mm. in general. And those are the variables that we are working toward. And that's why you might want to think about dividing and conquering. You might want to think about putting some assets in a Roth and putting some assets in an IRA on which you'll pay taxes in retirement. And then you can just choose where to draw from once that happens. And and that's really a strategy that many people, including me, are using these days. Great. Thank you, Grace. Next one from Peggy. We have a small landscape slash lawn maintenance business and make $700,000 in income each year. It is not small. No. Should I do this too? <laughs> okay. Kelly was a fashion blogger yesterday. Today, she's going to have a lawn maintenance business. I don't really think you have a green thumb. I'm just saying. I don't, actually. Um, I can keep a cactus alive. Uh, currently, our customers pay only by check. We are set up to take ACH drafts, which I want to offer to customers, but some have requested we take credit card payments. Which card is best to take? How is that done? And do we lose money doing that? Yeah, there are fees for doing yeah. that. And and the fees vary. Some credit cards, and I don't take credit cards myself. Um, I don't 
really sell anything for which I could take a <laughs> I credit was like, card. I was like, what are you selling over there? <laughs> <laughs> now I have this vision of me with yeah. Lucy in the, in the little psychology booth, you know, like advice, yeah, five yep, cents. Yep. Um, oh, you totally should do that, but for free. For free. <laughs> so the, um, 1% to 2%, I think is, I think is the, going rate. And yeah, so it can it can absolutely cost you money and it can cost you money to get set up in order to take credit card payments. What about Venmo? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I might look at whether my customers could Venmo me or use Zelle to pay me because Zelle is a property of a lot of the major banks. and mm-hmm. And maybe that's a lower cost solution that would help you. Um, it sounds like a story for us. It is a story for us. And in fact, we will take it on. We will report it out yep. and we will get you an answer. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Well, stay tuned. Stay Peggy. tuned. Stay tuned. And, you know, just a reminder, we will get you an answer. But the way that you can listen for this answer is to subscribe to yes. her money through Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that enough. I sometimes say it at the end of a show. But if you subscribe, you get the show every single week. You're not going to miss anything. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want your question to be on a show and you to miss that particular episode or, right. or a guest that that is just the one who's going to stand out and make sense to you. Absolutely. And we're not so good at promoting ourselves. And we're so grateful for all of our listeners who promote the show word of mouth. But so, yeah, uh, yeah. Subscribing is it makes listening easier. And we will do one from Karina. And I haven't received a question or we haven't received a question like this. She gave us like a line item review of her finances and a bulleted list with a question. So I'm going to hit you with some numbers first and then her question. Okay, we'll see how this works. So $0 of credit card debt, contributing 5% to 401k, mortgage debt, 115000 school loan debt, 45000 car lease debt, 18000 invested in stocks, 11500 I plan on returning my car this year and buying a car in cash to focus on paying down school loan in the next three years. Should I increase my 401k contribution to 15% while paying down debt or pay off school loan debt first? Oh, boy. Okay. Thank you, Karina, for all the detail because it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, what you didn't give me is your income, and that would have been uh, helpful because then I could know what sort of number we're working with. But clearly, you have enough to be satisfying all of these goals. So, yes, increase the 401k contribution to 15% because you're not saving enough. And when we talk about return on your money, we talk about either ors. And so I don't know if you're getting matching dollars or you're not getting matching dollars, but if you're putting money into a 401k that's invested pretty aggressively in mostly stocks um, and, a, and a proportion of bonds, you're, you're probably earning more on those investments than you are making by paying down those student loans, which may even be tax deductible. So I would increase the 401k contribution. Don't put such a heavy premium on paying off those student loans faster than you have to pay them off or the mortgage, even though you didn't ask me that question. And when it comes to buying the car, I would look at the interest rate before I buy it with cash because there are a lot of 
0% financing deals out there. There are a lot of very, very low interest rate financing deals out there, which means that you may actually be able to invest the money that you would have been putting down on that car and just pay the car off over time. Good luck, Karina. Let us know how it all shakes out. Absolutely. And we will do one more from Susan, who is in the personal finance community. I met her at FinCon. Oh, hi, Susan. Hi, Susan. Good to hear from you again. And I'm not going to say her last name because it's a personal question. I listened with interest when you advised another listener about getting a third party involved in discussions with her mother about end of life issues, money, etc. My siblings and I are trying to have these discussions with our mom, who is a widow in a new relationship. So I suggested we arrange a call or a meeting with her financial planner and or estate planner. They feel that those financial professionals are not equipped to help us mediate questions like, does your partner have sufficient assets so you're not caregiving for them? Or how much medical intervention do you want if you're incapacitated? Is that true? Who would be the appropriate third party to aid us in this discussion? Her minister, perhaps? She's extremely private, so it needs to be someone she already knows and trusts. Her minister's not a bad idea. Yeah. Before she was a rabbi, my best friend Lisa from college actually worked in investment banking. I so love she Rabbi is, Lisa. So she is really well suited to have these conversations. <laughs> However, a lot of clergy members are suited to having these and, and deal with these kind of things all the time. The, the professional I would reach for in a scenario like this is an estate planning or elder law attorney. Um, because they're used to dealing with issues of care. And they're a little bit different. So an estate planning attorney actually deals mostly with making sure that you have all the documentation in place, the durable powers of attorney, the living will, the will, of course, any trusts, as well as um, just making sure that you revise and revisit that plan every few years. An elder law attorney is set up to deal with the finances of care, including, if necessary, spending down assets to qualify for Medicaid, which some people need to go through a process of doing occasionally. So you can sort of take your pick there. And I I would just sort of see if there is a lawyer in the picture who she's comfortable enough with to bring into these conversations. So when I hear attorney, I think expensive. Is there a way to cut costs in going that direction or is there a way to keep costs reasonable? It doesn't have to be a lengthy conversation and it doesn't have to necessarily involve a lot of documents. Mm. Um, Document prep is what gets really expensive. She may have all the documents that she needs. Um, The other thing that I would be careful of, and I I was reminded of this, I'm working on a new book, as you know, and I was working on a chapter about caring for aging parents and the topic of family meetings came up. And a lot of experts say you have to have a family meeting. You have to get a family meeting with all the siblings together and everybody in a room. And um, my mother hates those. <laughs> she just – she hates them. She feels like whoever is the subject of the family meeting feels like everybody's been talking behind their back and feels really in the spotlight and put upon and – it's not a comfortable place for her to be. Mm. And so I was reminded of that with this question, and I'm wondering if your parent would be more comfortable having individual conversations. And, and that may just be something to take under consideration. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Jean. And thank you, everyone, for your questions and for tuning in all this week. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if you like the show, please keep tuning in. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts Mm -hmm. and please share us with your friends. We'll be back next week with another regular edition of Her Money. Thank you again to our sponsor, Fidelity, and we'll talk soon. 